Hi, I'm TJ Senaferra, and you're listening to Made For This. Devoted to American Saddlebred since childhood, TJ Santafera has been a trainer since he was a teen. He's continued to dedicate his life to the breed, and today he is the head trainer at Stachowski Farm in Simpsonville, Kentucky. TJ spoke with Morgan McQuarrie and Aubrey Hostetter of Hallway Feeds about his path to becoming the trainer he is today, the evolution of the sport, and why he is dedicated to this breed. Welcome, everybody, to Season 2, Episode 20 of Made for This. Today, we are here at TJ Santafera's farm. We have TJ. Say hi, TJ. Hello. Aubrey. Hello. And myself, Morgan. Thanks for joining us today, TJ. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. TJ, tell us a little bit about your operation here, so everyone, maybe who's not local to the saddlebred industry or saddlebred world. Sure. So, I train American saddlebreds. Um, I own the, the farm here in Simpsonville, Kentucky. Um, I operate under Jim Stakowski's farm name, so it's Stakowski Farm here. He has a farm in Manaway, Ohio, uh, San Marcos, California, and here in Simpsonville. So Jim and I kind of partnered up to open up a public training stable here, and uh, I have about 47 horses in training. We work with amateurs, juveniles, and we uh, excel with young horses, new development, that kind of thing. So, backing up before that, so how did you get to Kentucky initially? Tell us a little bit about your your journey from getting involved in horses from the beginning, from like childhood, and where you are now. Sure. So, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I went on a trail ride as a young kid. Kind of encouraged me to take some riding lessons. Was a horse enthusiast, loved them, and I just kind of took off from there. I went to horse shows, rode for a bunch of different barns in in the Northeast. And then as I established more of a training career, I, I moved my way to Illinois working for Jim Lowry. And then from there, I got offered a private job here in Kentucky working with Kathy Capsudo in Shelbyville. Were you always doing saddlebreds in, up in Syracuse? Um, I, I did some saddlebreds. I did do a little bit with the Morgan horses. And Jim Lowry was a great fit because he worked with Morgans and saddlebreds. So it was kind of a cool collaboration. Yeah, I'm glad I asked you that because I thought you were from Illinois. For some reason, no, I guess because of Jim and Faye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for three years. So yeah, yeah. Who would you say, out of all the people that you've worked for and worked with, does anybody stand out as far as like a mentor to you? I would say that I made it a point to surround myself with people that I wanted to be like. So to pick on one particular person would be very difficult. I would say everyone played a part in my development as a young professional. You know, Jim and Faye Lowry laid a foundation. Kathy Capsudo and Paula Schmidt gave me the opportunity to take those skills and put them to work. And Jim Stakowski really put a lot of faith in me and my ability and gave me the opportunity to grow a business here in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So I would say just about everybody played a pretty strong role in the development of my career and successes. Everywhere you've been is really cold. Morgan's from California. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'd be like, can I take the California division? <laughs> right. But, exactly. yeah, Illinois, yeah. Syracuse. So when did you, what, what age did you leave Syracuse? Kind of a funny story. So I, I was super passionate with the horses. So I was a freshman in high school and Elaine Gregory in Vermont actually was like, hey, like you should come up here over the cold. summer. Let's work some horses. Very cold. <laughs> and I said, okay, great. So I loved it so much. I actually... Uh, enrolled in homeschooling and I homeschooled myself and worked for Elaine Gregory for like six months. So I was like 15. 
Wow. Out there homeschooling myself. Yeah, it was great, actually. Learned a lot, had a lot of fun, um, realized maybe I should go back to like public school and finish that out first. Yeah. So I moved back to Syracuse, back with my family, and ended up working out with my counselor there to graduate a little bit early so I could get a jump start on what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So did that. I Let's see, I moved to Jim and Faye when I was 17. So when I was 17, I moved You were only home. 17? Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did anybody in your family do horses? I think as a kid, my my dad took riding lessons, but it wasn't a thing before mm-hmm. I made the jump. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And how did you find that love? Driving past them on the road or just seeing them on TV and said, hey, we I were, want to do that. We were on like a like a little vacation. There was a trail ride. And I was okay. like, this is amazing. And I went home and I was like, I want a horse. And my parents were like, absolutely not. And we actually lived on like a little three acre farm. It was tiny, but we had a little barn, and my dad surprised me with a... My parents, I guess, they both surprised me with this horse. It happened to be a saddlebred. <laughs> it's like kind of wild, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a saddlebred, and that's kind of how I got into the saddlebreds. Just by accident, had one, and so we were like, this is a saddlebred. So we, like, you know, they called around to find a saddlebred, saddle seat trainer, and that's kind of how I got started. W- was it a good saddlebred? No. <laughs> <laughs> the first one never is. No. The first one is always like, that pony bucked me off every day for five years. No, she wasn't a great one, but she got my start going. Oh, that's so. good. Have you ever tried anything else besides the Saddlebreds, Morgans, or have you ever even thought about another that? discipline besides? Yeah, so I've had a huge interest in dressage. And um, when I was in um, New Hampshire, I actually took a few dressage lessons from, uh, you know, just a barn up there, just kind of for fun. And it was very interesting. And I would say... The foundation, my training foundation is very dressage. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of another interest I have. I wish I had more time to pursue that <laughs> and work mm-hmm. in the dressage realm because I think it's it's very interesting to me. It is. It's, yeah. It is. Nothing beats a, a, a top-notch dressage horse. No. They're really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. So. TJ has worked with Jim Stachowski for many years, but that collaboration started with a chance meeting. Today at Stachowski Farm, TJ has guided young prospects, show horses, amateurs, and junior exhibitors to greatness. How did you meet Jim Stachowski? Like, how did that relationship get started? I was working for Kathy Capsudo here in Shelbyville, and he came to look at horses. And he recognized some talent or drive or passion. And he called me and he was like, you have it. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> You're like, I think that's good. <laughs> I, I think that he's like, so what do you, what do you, you know, he asked me 20 questions. Like, what do you want to do? What's your, what's, you know, it look like for you in the future? And I kind of told him this is what I'm thinking. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, when you're ready to make a change, you know, let me know. And I was like, Okay. And so years went by, worked for Kathy for three years, and um, and I got to a point where I was like ready to do something different. And he actually, I was at the Robertson sale, and he walked up to me and said, like, hey, what's going on? You know, what are you thinking? And I said, well, I'm actually in, in limbo right now. I'm not sure what I'm going to do if I'm going to do commercial real estate, if I want to stay in the horse business. I'm just not sure yet. And he's like, well, you know, let's revisit what we talked about, you know, this Kentucky operation deal. Because we had had a couple of phone calls early on about, what do you think about this? Do you think this would go? Where could we do it? Any place in mind? You know, that whole deal. And it was probably a couple of years of just talking back and forth about how are we going to get started? What's it look like? And that's kind of how 
we met we kind of built a pretty strong friendship over the phone and then you know seven eight years later here we are so it's pretty unique relationship i didn't realize it, it was that long that you were in conversation yeah yeah you know it was I was still working for Kathy, but I'm a big picture, long-term player mm -hmm. in my mind. So everything I do in my life has always been like sort of planned out. Like this is how I want it to go. And what does that look like? So for me, like Jim and I together, it kind of meshed really well. And I could throw out a random idea and he wouldn't shoot it down. He's like, okay, how do we do that? Right. So that was pretty special for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's the encouraging. Yes. Yeah. Very encouraging. Somebody behind you that, all right, well, let's, let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to training and working with these saddlebreds, what do you feel is your strengths that you can bring to the table with the client relations? Or is it picking out horses, matching the rider, breeding the right stock? I would or say... Or all of the above. I wish I could say I was good at all those yeah. things. But um, I would say I excel mostly with putting a horse and rider together. The ability to realize the strengths and weaknesses of the horse or the rider and and. and preparing that horse properly for each individual person. Mm -hmm. uh, my program is specialized. So each horse has a different program, different regiment. I don't expect them all to fall in the mold. So that goes for my, my riders too. I mean, they all need to work on different things. It's like having your own personal trainer. That's kind of my strong suit, I would say. And, and that's kind of what I pride myself in is making sure that I find the right match. You know, I would say when it comes to finding the next, the next great horse, as far as young horse development, mm -hmm. I think this is something you develop, you know, over time. But you, I've kind of developed an eye working with Jim, working for Kathy, kind of analyzing the breeding, looking at the young horses, how they're made. Um, all that stuff is like the education I feel like you need to develop a, a, an eye to pick something special out of a field or uh, in long lines or in the starting process. And I've, I've had a lot of success going out, you know, being in the bushes and finding these horses that have gone on to do really great things. And that has, has brought me a lot of joy and a lot of pride in, in, in my work and my business. It's always fun to find that, that young horse and be able to bring it up through the ranks, knowing that you picked it out of the field, trained it. Yeah, put it together. It, put it together, and now it's off successful, whether it be you showing or for another rider. Yeah, no, absolutely. And having that individual training regimen for each horse is really impressive because when you get to a certain size and you have a certain number of show horses, it's easy to just uh, to not look at each one as an individual because you've got so many. Right. So that shows a lot of commitment. And they're all athletes. Yeah. 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 They're all they're all built differently. They all need different things. You know, I have the luxury also, you know, another thing that Jim has allowed me to do is hire some of the very best staff mm -hmm. you can hire. And there's no limitation on caretakers or buying the right equipment or, you know, investing in the business, um, whether that be furthering education for my assistants or whatever that might be to, we make sure that we hire the very best caretakers that pay attention, you know, analyze the horses, you know, are they eating properly? You know, do they need X, Y, and Z? And, and that is, to me, that, that makes a huge difference. And, I pride myself in making sure the horses have the, the utmost care and I develop a training regimen for each one. And maybe my assistant gets along better with this horse or this is what they need to do differently. I think that's very important to the success level of all these horses. I mean, I'm not going to get along with every one of them. Am I the lead trainer? Yes, but that doesn't mean I have to do it all myself. And I think I've learned that from Jim. You know, he has this huge operation in Ohio, 200 horses on that property, a mm -hmm. hundred and something in training, 
12 trainers and yet they all come out with the same look you're all healthy and shiny and they're mm -hmm. winning yeah and i think that shows a lot to his ability to delegate and establish a relationship with his trainers that is very impressive mm -hmm. and i have had the luxury to experience that with him as well and i think that's irreplaceable Absolutely. So. That's hard to find. He, he instills a lot of trust in the people that he has on his team. And that's important. And, the, and they have a lot of respect for him, too. And I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. And having people that you trust, you know, one of the biggest uh, topics of conversation in the industry these days is finding help and keeping help. Exactly. So that that's impressive that you not only have help, but you have help that you hold in such high regard. Well, there's that. And, you know, I asked Jim early on when we were in the interviewing process and we were trying to nail down how this would roll out. And he said, you know, he made a point and I thought, well, that's kind of, I want to say cocky, but he's like, people don't normally leave once they work for me. And he's not wrong. I mean, it's mm -hmm. true because he takes care of his people. I think he's found a way to charge appropriately, found a way to pay appropriately. And he makes people, his employees feel needed and wanted and respected and everyone feels like they can say what they feel with working a horse or the way thing needs to be done and, and he'll listen and and interact in a professional manner and i think it's hard to find that business mentality in this business because it is so unregulated mm -hmm. you know people come and go you know it's it is yeah. you know it's hard to find help it is but if Jim's made a point to treat people properly and pay them respectfully. And I think that's why people stay around. They feel more like like they are in their career. Right. There's a place than, to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would feel differently coming to work here every day, you know, than they would going to work like at a fast food chain. Like they don't view it as, oh, it's just another job. Right. You know, which it, that's how you're going to retain. Right. Right. Exactly. Cool. Having some ownership in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. pride. They feel like it's going to really matter to the operation if they don't show up to work. Right, exactly. Day. And he instills yeah. that in everybody mm -hmm. from the stall cleaners to the groundskeepers. I mean, that's another thing. You know, he doesn't expect the caretakers to clean the stalls. He expects you to come in and pay attention to your string of horses. And I think that was a totally different mentality than I was brought up in this business with. I mean, you know, he's got the stall cleaners. They, they're only in charge of cleaning those stalls. He's got the people that feed. Well, they're the only in charge of those of the feeding regimen and what the horses are eating and what horses need special feed. And uh, he buys the very best hay mm -hmm. and he makes sure that I do the same and that can be overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it was interesting to me when I came on to his team and he said, you know, I have these stall cleaners, I have caretakers, I have the trainers, the trainers, they don't groom their horses and the caretakers just take care of the horses. So everyone's in collaboration because you can't expect one person to do all those things. And I think that's how you develop a thriving business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's a very unique way to do it in the horse world because, I mean, I remember the days where you I mean you started your day cleaning stalls, mm -hmm. and then you get your horses ready, and right. then you feed, you clean. do everything, yeah. <laughs> and then by the time the day's done, you're pooped. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you wear a lot of different hats. You, you burn a lot of people out that way. Well, exactly, and that's why I'm saying his business model is different, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's something that we all should look at a little closer. Mm -hmm might keep people in the industry a bit longer. Yeah, make it more of a career path instead of just a grunt labor. Mm -hmm. TJ has been immersed in the saddlebred world throughout his life. 
He's seen the sport evolve as well as the horses themselves, and he envisions improvements to the breed as he looks to the future. So speaking about saddlebreds, you've been involved in the industry for a long time, and I know with other industries that we're involved in, you've seen the horse change and develop differently throughout the years. Do you think there's anything in the saddlebreds that you used to see a lot in the past, and maybe how it's evolved, the horses evolved, the trainings evolved, um, to where we are now? Sure. I would say I think we can all agree that the saddlebreds are gorgeous and athletic and intuitive, and they have this charisma and this unusual self-awareness with people. I think over the years, we have bred the characteristics that we like most about these horses very closely, and we've developed this ultra-gorgeous, ultra-long-necked, elegant individual that may not be able to withstand the work that we're asking them to do. And I think when I got back into it, there wasn't, when I first started, there wasn't this extreme head carriage. There mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, the horses had a strong back end. They were pushing off the hind end. And now if you, if you look at our show ring, you have the really high neck, the beautiful, I mean, everything that you imagine in a saddlebred, almost every horse has now. But what we don't have is the longevity, the sturdy build. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, that can be improved on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's just something that's going to take time to overcome. But that's that's what I see right now is you, you wish they had just a little more durability. Um, I, I myself, as I own several horses now and, and even the vet bills and and making sure everything is mm -hmm. the way it needs to be. It can be it can be expensive to maintain these horses um, because of how we've developed the breed. It's interesting because no matter that thought process and I think issues that you're seeing is across all breeds. Really? Yes. We've bred them to be pretty gorgeous, but they're not necessarily as hardy right. as they need to be. They've, they're a little bit more fine bone and they just can't handle the pressure as long. And I think people have finally, you know, they've got their ideal image of what they want. And now they went, oh. Mm -hmm. We don't have it all. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> we, yeah. we don't quite have it all. And, and at least most breeders, I think, of horses in general have realized that and go, okay, we, we need to take a step back and, and try to build that healthy mm -hmm. horse again. Yeah. So it's interesting. Just We see a lot of different people, you know, across multiple different horse industries. And it's all a conversation same. that you hear yeah. a lot. There can be too much of a good thing. And mm -hmm. I think it's human nature to, to latch on to something that is good and then... It becomes yeah. too much. Too much. Too yeah. much. Uh, I agree. I would say that's that's a sentiment I've I've heard people decades older than me say about the saddlebred industry, exactly what, what you just said, TJ. You said it much more eloquently than I could, but I would just say like, oh, they're not as hardy as mm -hmm. they used to be. But I like that explanation. So do you have any advice of anybody who wants to get into owning or showing breeding saddlebreds? What what would you what advice would you give to a, a child who wants to start getting into the saddlebred world? Let's see. Um, I would say if you have interest in this, you should go after it. I have met people I never thought I would meet. I have been surrounded by people who want to see me do well and boost me up. And I've had world experiences that I think most people, it's hard to imagine that it could be possible. And I, I grew up, um, I would say, lower middle class. And the horse business has changed my life in, in so many ways that I can experience life on, on a different 
a different level I've ever I, I would have ever thought of. I never thought I'd be able to raise my own horses or own my own farm or have my own house that, you know, that I could call my home and, and, and have people over and, you know, all those things. And I pride myself in, in creating experiences for people. And that's kind of what got me really in this business is because what my passion and love for the horse has brought all these, all these people in my life that have, that have become great friends and role models and I think that's irreplaceable and it's unusual. Mm-hmm. You can go to your nine to five day job and not make those kind of relationships and connections with people. And this business has really brought so many wonderful opportunities to me. So I say, if you're interested, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lifestyle. Absolutely. But there's nothing like it. There's really nothing mm-hmm. like it. I love that you said you like creating experiences for people. Because ultimately, that's what that's what they're buying. You know, it's not like they're just buying a horse to say they bought a horse. Right. You know, you're creating the experience for right. them of, you know, riding at home and then going to the horse show or, you know, buying a young horse and watching their trainer get it started. And um, I just love that you said that. I think that's really yeah. important to remember. Well, and I think for me, I would say I think every every owner, every client has different expectations for themselves and a different time commitment and a different financial commitment. Mm-hmm. And I would say I have a variety of people in my barn that have a lot of different interests, but it works for them to have horses with me because I um, excel in realizing someone's expectations and I excel at managing those expectations and saying, this is unrealistic. Where do you <laughs> where, hard to say. where do you want to be? <laughs> yeah. And because if you if you're able to maintain a realistic expectation with people and and you feel like you can meet them, then you have a happy client. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, you know, people will, I will hear people say that it's really hard to to keep people happy in this business. Well, there's the expense, there's this, there's that, there's all these things, all these variables, right, that we all face, no matter what business it is, horses or other things. Mm -hmm. And I feel that if you can maintain an honest relationship with people, some of the hard things to say are no. And that's that's where I think my business has thrived. I love that. Saying no. I think that saying no, <laughs> people, saying no can, people don't hear that. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no one likes to hear no, but no, no. it's better than buying that horse and, and just being let around and yeah. yeah, yeah, it'll happen one day. Yeah, exactly. No one wants to be strung along. Right. What do I have to do to get there? Yeah. Love it. Oh, I wanted to ask you about, um, you have a role now in the UPHA young professionals. Is that the right term yeah. for that organization? You have a role now there, don't you? Like a, um, officer position. Is that correct? So I am a co-chair That's what it was. for the yeah. young professionals in the UPHA organization. And it's a new position for me. It's a new experience. I wish I was more educated in this than I am, but there's no place to start like just diving in. And I'm very fortunate to have a co-chair, Adriana Day, who is more well-versed with this than I am. So I'm happy to get involved. I'm happy to be a part of it. And this is my first year doing it. So I'm looking forward to seeing how, what it brings. Adriana is actually a friend of ours. I don't know if you knew that. Chris, my husband, he went to school with her husband, Spencer. Okay. And we went to visit them a few years ago up in Maine at their farm. I don't know cold. how they do it. it exactly. Cold, cold, cold. It was snowing at the end of September. What? Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, Adriana's great. I mean, that that's that's a fantastic person to oh, be. Oh, she's fantastic. She's exactly everything I'm not. 
organized, efficient. <laughs> I'm like an idea person. Yeah. She like nails it down. Yeah. Yeah. She's very organized. So that'll be a good fit. Well, I hope that that, um, that that's a fruitful experience for you. And that'll be, that'll be great to see what, what you bring to the table. Yeah. I'm really looking that. forward to it. Before we get off. So last time. Aubrey and I were on a podcast together. Anthony gave us a hard time because we were talking about Starbucks a lot. So now I'm going to have to ask everybody when we're on a podcast together what your Starbucks order is. Oh. If it's Starbucks or maybe or it's just another coffee. Maybe it's another coffee place. Do you drink coffee? I do. Okay. I don't like people that don't drink coffee. Right. I usually... <laughs> so you want to know my coffee order? Yeah. yeah. I get a venti iced chai with an extra oh, shot. Yeah. We're pretty So cool. a dirty chai. A dirty chai. That's a right. dirty chai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it a chai? Like that's it's a spice, a tea. I guess. It's a spice. Yeah. It's a chai it's tea. A spice. Yeah. Okay. Right, chai tea, and then you put the espresso in it, and it's called the dirty chai. Well, you could just work there, couldn't you? I could. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> a barista is my nighttime job. <laughs> we won't go off on a fifteen-minute yeah. monologue on coffee like we did last time, so we're we're going to leave it at that. Good to know your coffee order, so now Next I can time, surprise yeah. you sometimes with coffee. There you go. An iced dirty chai. Iced dirty chai. I love it. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was fun.